place in extreme sport, says Cliff Golding. That moment when you're standing in nothing but a swimsuit, cap, and goggles on the beach with your arm up, waiting and waiting and waiting for the klaxon to go off. You're full of nerves, and everything you've done up to that point has led to that moment. Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories with me, Shannon Keegan. It took seven of those lonely moments on the beach before Cliff put his demons to bed and finally completed his swim across the English Channel, demonstrating his competence to his naysayers who had told him that he was clearly a runner, not a swimmer. 28 years of marathon swimming later, I'm thrilled to hear that Cliff is committing to improving his technique. Of course, this is from a coach who emphasizes proper technique and emotional preparedness over just about anything else. Cliff's is a story of dogged persistence with many gems along the way. You don't want to miss it. Enjoy. Well, let's let's get into it. It looks like this okay. is our crew for today. Cliff, tell us your story. <laughs> well, okay. Until this year, for the last 27, 28 years, I've always said that I'm a, a runner masquerading as a swimmer, right? Because wow. um, I, and that was like a self-deprecating thing because I'm, I'm, I'm not naturally a gifted swimmer. When I was a kid, you chose, um, if you're choosing an aerobic sport, you chose uh, running, swimming, or cycling. And um, every kid had a bike by default, so they cycled a bit. Um, but I joined a running club and, uh, and, and from the age of 13 until 17, when I joined the military, I um, was a runner. But I'd learned to swim at school because my dad, I have a brother and my dad made us do over here what we call the bronze certificate. And he said that no son of his was going to drown simply because they couldn't swim. If you fell into water, he said, if you can get to a side, if you can hang on to something, he said, but you're not drowning because you can't swim. And so the bronze certificate involves you going to a pool and swim in a width. Um, and it, it, you had to wear striped pajamas. You had to tie a hole, a, a, a knot in each leg and use it as a buoyancy aid. And oh, they wow. threw a rubber brick in, which you then had to rescue. So if any of you guys have paws and, and you're not qualified and you have a drowning rubber brick, I'm your man. <laughs> I'm qualified to save that brick. Um, okay. And then for the next, um, gosh, 40, uh, 30 odd years, I only splashed around at, at seaside. I never swam. And um, in about 1991, in 1982, I flew to Africa on military service. And we flew across the channel, the plane banked, and I could see England and France at the same time. So this is way before internet and, and Facebook and all that. Mm -hmm. And all I knew about channel swimming was that Matthew Webb was the first person to swim the channel. And in those days, if someone swam the channel, it would hit the nationals here. And I, I must have seen something and I thought, wow, people swim that. Um, and that's incredible. I could never envisage doing that, um, even though it looked like a tiny little swim from up in the air. Um, so fast forward. 10 years and I, on a whim, I decided that I wanted to be a channel swimmer. And so I was a skinny uh, marathon runner 
and I had no swimming experience. Um, and I got in touch with the ASA over here, the Amateur Swimming Association. They put me in touch with the secretary of the old CSA, the old Channel Swimming Association. And a few weeks later, I found myself knocking on a door in a house in Surrey in England. And behind that door was the formidable Channel General, Frieda Streeter. And um, the secretary had sent me a book of Channel Swims and I saw the name Alison Streeter 14 times. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, they've got to be related, whatever their relationship is. Mother and daughter, turns out. Um, I swam at their local pool uh, as on a Sunday. I swam with Alison. Frida uh, took me back to the house, gave me breakfast. And she said, so this was 1991, September. And she said, Cliff, I'll work with you to fulfill your dream. So the, wow. she said, you've just joined a swimming club. The following May, she said, I want you to be um, down in Dover. And she said to me, what do you weigh? And in those days, I, I was about 12 stone, which is guess in pounds would be about 168. And she said, that's, that's not enough. She said, you need to be at least a stone heavier. And so six months later, I turned up like a boxer. I was dead on weight at 13 odd stone. Um, and she, before I left the house, she said, Cliff, you know that this is carb, don't you? It's going to be tough. And I said, oh, yes, Frida, I said, I, I, I do. She said, no, no. She said, I've just seen you swim. She said, um, you're not a swimmer. She said, <laughs> and so it's going to be twice as hard because there are going to be real swimmers down there. And sure enough, six months later, I'm standing on the, on the shoreline in Dover Harbour. And in those days, there would have been maybe no more than nine of us. Alison was one. Um, a little girl was, uh, who'd swam age 14 was swimming uh, again, age 16. And, and all the others were swimmers. And I felt like the biggest fraud ever. And um, uh, so to cut this story a little bit short, I um, had decided that I wanted to be a channel swimmer. I had a vision of what a channel swimmer looked like. Um, and, and this vision was like a Greek Adonis, you know? And, and um, in my eyes, I morphed into that person. I was visualizing. And um, I have to say, in all these years, I've never seen a channel swimmer that looks like a Greek Adonis <laughs> right. with like 5% body fat. You're not going to get past the harbor, you know. <laughs> right. um, so um, I also envisage what I thought it would be like to swim the channel. And in my mind, you just got in the water at Dover and you swam to France. You came out on a French beach. Um, I conveniently forgot about the bit in the middle. And, <laughs> right. um, and in my mind's eye, um, the mayor of Calais and the mayor of Boulogne would be um, having a fist fight on the beach to be the first to put a garland around my neck. <laughs> say, um, Bravo, monsieur, vous avez nagé la manche. Vous avez nagé de la manche, I've swam the channel. Um, uh, and, then, and then, frankly, the nightmare began because um, it was in Fahrenheit about 49 degrees that very first Saturday. Ooh. And Frida chucked us in for that 10 minutes. We came out, tea and toast, two hours later, back in for a little bit longer. I didn't put my head in the water for three days. Um, and on the beach, she's marching up and down saying, this bloke here, he, how does he expect to swim the channel? He won't even put his head in the water. Because of that, you know, that ice cream headache mm -hmm. um, and the claw fingers, which with me, they didn't go those claw fingers for about, till I got up to about three hours. Um, back then you had to do a 10 hour qualifying swim to, to swim the channel, it's six now. Mm -hmm. And how I got through that, I don't know. But until you do that, you're not allowed on the start line. So I did 
a 10 hour swim. And um, I was standing on the beach at Shakespeare Beach, which is a bit further to the right of Dover, at about two o'clock in the morning with my arm raised and waiting for the klaxon to go. And I have to say that is about the loneliest place in extreme sport, you know, for, for me, um, because everything you've done to that point has led to that point. And you haven't got your buddies. You're not coming in for a feed, standing up and having a little chat. This is it. And um, I had seven people on my boat. I called them the unmagnificent seven. Um, <laughs> through no fault of theirs, my fault entirely. Um, they'd seen me disappear and every weekend come back with a silly hat mark and panda eyes. And they, um, they were coming along for a jolly. They had no idea what was involved. And frankly, nor did I. Um, that every, every one of them, bar one, was sick before we'd even left the harbour. The, oh. the pilot was furious. Oh and, um, and so for the duration of that swim, which lasted 10 hours and 40 minutes before they dragged me out, um, every time I came in for a feed, apart from the ex-Navy man, who took great delight in eating anything in front of the others, all I got was a, a disembodied hand above the, the rail with a hanky saying, Cliffy, you're doing really well. And then I could hear them throwing up and I thought, oh God, this, is, this hasn't gone well. Um, so, so I got taken out on that swim and the best way to describe it is it was like after, I, I, I set out to be a channel swimmer, right? My big mistake was expecting to do that in, in, one, in one year without having formal mm. swim coaching. And if anyone comes to me now and says, I want to swim the channel, I find out their pedigree. And if they haven't got one, I say, right, you need, well, you need to book up anyway, but you need a couple of years. You need to get yourself a good open water coach. You need to go and, and do some smaller swims where you turn up on swim day or race day and you get used to the nerves and the pressure and all the rest of it and build yourself up gradually and then go for the channel. Um, and, uh, but that wasn't the cliffy way, cliffy logic was not sound then and it, and it isn't now so <laughs> the best way to describe what happened on that day and subsequent days was um after half an hour it was like demons came into my head and and started to converse mm -hmm. and and they they scrammed to a halt and they said what do you think you're doing and i and i replied in my mind i'm, I'm swimming the channel and they went no you're not we've just watched you for the last hour if you call that swimming sunshine you know, you're a charlatan. How dare you come along here and think you can do the world's most prestigious open water swim just because you want to. You mm -hmm. need to get on that boat. You need to get back to Dover and you need to disappear and never come back. And this is what went on and on and on and on for hours. After about nine hours, the pilot said, uh, Clifford, um, um, you're in channel swimming waters I've never been in before. Um, I've had to get another chart out. And these charts are massive, hey? And he said, at the moment, you're heading for Ostend. Now, <laughs> Ostend is in Belgium. Right? Oh, gosh. And, um, and so he said, you just, he said, look, I think my estimate is you have about 11 hours of swimming left. You're about eight miles from France, but the way the tides are going to take you. He said, I could leave you in another couple of hours, but I need to get you out and come back again. So that was the first swim. And... It took me another six goes before I got across over a five-year period. And if I'd have had an ounce of intelligence, I would have said, okay, this didn't work. So let's do a smaller swim, like Windermere, 
which is 10 point, Lake Windermere, 10.2 miles, 15K, and get an achievement. But that wasn't the cliffy way. I threw myself at it two more times. But on those two times, I imploded mentally because the demons came back in. And, and, and after five or six hours, I'm, I'm up the ladder and, uh, and bitterly disappointed with myself and my lack of achievement. And one of those swims, Frida had come on board. And in those days, you could do a France to England. And she'd come on board with the express intention of giving me her personal psychological mix of enthusiasm and advice. And that is a euphemism because what it meant was that she was going to scream and shout at me. <laughs> and and um, she said, Cliffy, I want three five-hour swims and let's see where we are. So let's break it down. So we were halfway across in five hours. And that's not because I'm a good swimmer. It's just the way it was. It didn't mean I would get there in 10. And, um, and so we, um, we got to five hours and she said, that's brilliant. She said, um, I'm very happy. Right, let's have another five. And I said, okay, Frida, let's go. So off we went and half an hour later, um, I stopped. And I said, Frida, um, I I'm gonna get out. And she looked at me. I said, it's okay, Frida. I've, I've learned so much today. Thank you so much, everybody. And next time, I'm absolutely convinced I'll do it. Um, and, um, and she said, now, come on, Cliff. We, we knew this would happen. It happens every time with you at five or six hours. When you go through that transitional dip, you, you can't get through it when your body's relying on what we're giving you rather than the reserves. You know? And um, I said, yeah, thanks, Frida. That's, that's absolutely true. But I'm going to get out. And well, I was in the military for 14 years and I swear I've never heard swearing like that that came out of that woman's mouth over the next few minutes. You know, she threw everything at me and it was really weird. And when I talk about crew to people, I say, you've got to choose your crew very carefully because it was Frida, you know, she was like 55 or something. And she was giving me um, building site language. And it was just like, it was like, Frida doesn't do that, you know? And it didn't work with me. But some yeah. people it would have worked, right? right. And yes, when you're choosing your crew, you have to choose someone who's, who knows whatever the triggers are. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the ladder's there. And I've said this to Mark and I've said it to uh, Marlis. The, um, you, if you imagine that my arm is the run of the ladder and in my head, I'm thinking, right, up the ladder, soup, blanket, sympathy, have another go next time cliff right and and so frida sent everyone to the front of the boat and she said don't talk to him right don't talk to him and they're just looking frida and the observer and 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 i and the ladder's there and i went like that so as soon as you do that swim's done, done. and as i'm climbing up the boat she says to them don't help him don't put a kettle on don't you give him a blanket He's only done five and a half hours. He does it every day of the week without even blinking. Let him get dressed himself and don't talk to him all the way back to Dover. Wow. And that's what happened. And when I got back to Dover, she said, um, she came to my car. I, was like, she wouldn't, I had to get all my kit off myself. She came to the car and she said, uh, and I'm, I wound the window down thinking, oh, she's going to say, look, I'm really sorry. And she said, no, your children are there. So I'm going to be very careful. She said, <laughs> she said, it must have been a Friday or a Saturday. So the next day would have been a training day in Dover. She said, don't you come down to my beach tomorrow I'm with your bad attitude. I'm sick to death of you and your lack of achievement. I wish I'd never taken you on. And I ran the window up and I drove home. 
And the next day I went down to Dover because it's not her beach, it's a public beach. And she said the only three words she said to me in, in, in for the next three weeks, because I just wanted to do one circuit of the harbour. I went in and did it. I came out and Frida's standing there like this with a woman of a similar age next to her. And this woman was Australian and I'd never met her before. And Frida said, Cliff, this is Dawn Fraser. Um, Dawn, this is Cliff. He got out yesterday after five hours. And with that, she walked up the beach. Now, Dawn Fraser, as I knew, because I'd read her book, was um, won the Olympic 100 meter freestyle on three consecutive Olympics back in the day. She got kicked out of the Tokyo Olympics for nicking the Japanese flag off the flagpole. She was a maverick. Right. But the story goes that she took a hit for a much younger swimmer who still had their career ahead of her. Anyway, Dawn says to me, why'd you get out? And I murmured, mumbled some reply and, and, and carried on just trying to work out why it had gone wrong again. Now, I, I, never, I never went down to, do, to, to the beach to swim the channel with the intention of seeing how it goes. I, I only ever went to, to succeed. So I tried again in 94 and 5, similar result. Um, and I give presentations based on, on overcoming the fear of failure. And I use an Einstein quote, which is um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, but expecting a different result. Mm -hmm. right? and, and that was me. Um, and um, the Magni Unmagnificent Seven had told me to quit because they said, you're clearly not good enough. You're, you're a runner, not a swimmer. And, and they said it out of love because they were worried that I was obsessed. And I told them I was moving. And so I now live in Kent, which is in the south of England, um, and um, to be closer to, to Dover. So 1996, I tried again. The weather got really bad and the pilot had said it would be bad, but we'd see how it went. After four hours, he wanted to get me out. And I'm begging, unusually begging to be left in. I said, I don't care. They'll say I quit again. And, um, and he said, no, no. He said, I'm getting you out. It's a pilot's decision. It's not safe. So off we went. And the following year, I finally found a little bit of common sense in the recesses of my brain. And I swam Lake Windermere. And that's what I did. And I got an achievement. So 1997, I um, was my successful year. And um, I, I set off. Um, a chap called Mike Oram was my pilot. And on the beach, they were running a book as to how long I would last. Um, and, and bets range from like three hours to like seven. Never more than that, because I should have put money on it. And, um, <laughs> and so that was a successful swim. And people said to me, how, how did you, um, what happened? What was different? And all I can say is that it took me two or three weeks to process what had happened after the swim. But what I do know is that I set off, loneliest place in extreme sport on the beach, and the demons came back, but they were, if you use a military analogy, they were at platoon strength and not brigade strength. And they skidded to, I said, hi, oh, it's the runner. <laughs> Where were you last year? And I said, I swam Lake Windermere. Oh, you swam Lake Windermere. Still think you can swim the channel? I said, yeah. I said, and you, you can do one out of it. I'm not, I'm not playing today. And they went, oh, so they drew up reinforcements, right? Um, I'd learned my lesson. I had my friend Debbie, who was a channel swimmer on the boat. And I said to the pilot, she's not allowed in as a, as a support swimmer. And he said, but I might want to put her in if you're not doing so well. 
I said, that's the whole point. If I'm not doing so well and you put her in, I'm going to do even worse. That's Cliffy logic. And he reluctantly agreed. And so I swam, I swam and swam and swam. And um, it, after about what I thought was like three days, but was probably about 13 hours, I looked up and it was getting dark. And when you're on a swim in, in, in the channel, the sun sort of travels around. I swim on the port side, on the left side. And towards the, as it's getting dusk, you see people in silhouette and not as I'm looking at you guys now. And, um, and I suddenly was aware that Debbie was in her kit with one foot over the rail, waiting to jump in. And I said, and in my head I'm saying, that, that's breaking the deal. But before I could rear up and say what's happening, she's in the water next to me and I'm furious because he, he broke, he'd, he'd bust our word. And, um, and so I swam on a bit and Debbie started to shout at me and scream at me. And what I thought I saw was a, was a ferry with all its lights blazing coming towards me. And, and, and on the right, little trawler boats with their lights on catching fish. And I thought, I'm gonna die in, in, in under this ferry. And if that doesn't get me, I'm gonna die in the nets of those, those trawlers. And they've trucked Debbie in to warn me because I've got earplugs in. I'm obviously delirious because I'm so tired. And so she started to shout at me and, um, and I'm thinking, this can't get any worse. And I reared up and I'm not proud of this. I said, what do you want? Debs, what do you want? And she said, Cliff, you idiot, I'm standing. I'm, I'm, I'm standing, Cliff. And she, and you know the fault, um, Trading Places, Eddie Murphy film? At the very beginning, he's, he's pretending he's a blind Vietnam vet and he's on a, on a, a trolley because he can't walk. And the two policemen pick him up and his legs slowly go down and he stands and he says, it's a miracle. And I lowered my legs down and I felt the sand of Wissant Beach beneath and between my toes. And then I fell over because the surf had got us and I reared up and Debbie said, Cliffy, you idiot. Um, it's, it's 200 meters to go. That's why I'm in the water, just to <laughs> see you safe in. Swim on. And so we swam on and, um, and, and then she stood up again and this time up to her knees. I stood up and fell over again because when you're like that for so many hours and suddenly stand up, the blood pressure's all over the place. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I walked out onto the French beach at, at Wissant. Um, and to my consternation, the mayor of Calais and the mayor of Boulogne must have had alternative <laughs> uh, arrangements because they, they weren't there. But there were seven or eight Frenchies who'd come down from the summer houses. The, so the ferry wasn't a ferry. It was the lights of the town. The, the lights of the trawlers weren't trawlers. They were the, the lights of summer houses on the dunes there. And they came down and they, it, was, it just got dark and they formed a semicircle. I felt a little bit claustrophobic having been on by myself. And they had their torches, which were shining in the air and they were clapping and I imagine saying bravo, monsieur, vous avez la jolie manche, because they used to watch this channel so much. So I got back on the boat and with respect to my pilot and Debbie, I rang Frida and I said, Frida, we did it, meaning me and her. And I can't swear because your children are there, but she said about bleak, bleak time. <laughs> and so the Magnificent Seven, they called me up for a party and they corralled me and they said, Cliff, we need to apologize. 
And I said, no, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were going to be sick that day. It was my fault. They said, no, no, that's a distant, dark memory. But if you remember, we told you to quit because you weren't good enough. And, and, and you've moved. You left us. And now you're a channel swimmer. So how did you do it? And this is what took me a few weeks to process because um, I, wanted, I wanted answers. How did I get there? Was it an accident or did I really do something extraordinary? And I didn't do anything extraordinary within the swim. What I did is that I got rid of the demons. Mm -hmm. And I realized a few weeks later that the inhibitor for me was that I was afraid and like very afraid. And I, not that I would get damaged or have an accident or get bitten or anything like that, but that I wouldn't succeed. And that fear of not succeeding um, drained me of so much mental energy that I, I was, doesn't matter what I'd fueled myself with, I hadn't fueled the mind, you know? And all and those five years earlier, Alison had told me that channel swimming was 80% mental, 20% the rest. And, and then I realized um, that it was okay to be afraid and that it was okay to be with, with total respect to people that do 20 lengths of the, of the local pool three times a week and that's all they want to do, total respect. But I wasn't doing that. I was trying to swim the English Channel. And I have a feeling that if you use a, a tennis comparison, I have a feeling that in that elite tennis players, if they said, if you said to an Australian, a French or an American tennis player, of the four grands, which would you have? I reckon they'd say Wimbledon because that's the one that's the most prestigious. If they can get others as well, fine. It's the same with the channel. The channel is not the hardest open water swim. The North Channel, Ireland to Scotland or Scotland to Ireland is, is, is harder because of the cold and the jellies, but it's the, it's the most prestigious one. And once I'd set my, set my stall out that I wanted to do it, I just had to find out how. And I found that by embracing the fear and letting it in, that I, I, I won that day. I have a theory, it's a romantic theory that the channel relents to let you get there or mm. it doesn't, because mm. um, nature is a very powerful thing. Um, so, and the other thing I learned, and, and Marlies and Mark have heard me say this, I call them secret doors. So I'd been swimming for a long time and metaphorically, it was like I'd suddenly come up against a secret door and in front of that door was debris and, and, and chain, chains and, and, and locks and impenetrable. Right? And all the other times I'd got to the secret doors and I had um, imploded mentally. Um, and again, I didn't process till afterwards, but I hit many of those on that successful swim, but I crashed through them and, and I cast them asunder, if you like, you know, the broken, that's it, they're off the hinges. And if you think 50 meters before, pardon my expression, but I'm dying on my ass, right? I, I, I can't see how I can swim another stroke, never mind continue to, to prevail. And so what's changed? 50 meters past the secret doors, I'm still exhausted, I'm still tired, but I'm swimming better by my standard of swimming. I'm swimming better um, because something's happened here. I've unlocked something in my head that says, hey, you're compass mentis, you're answering the questions that feeds. There's nothing wrong with you. If you can do one more stroke, you can do another stroke. Right? So those are the two biggest lessons that I learned um, through, through the channel swimming. So I'm aware that I've been waffling on without interruption. Um, <laughs> so I do apologize. <laughs> Don't apologize. I love it. Uh, um, so 
it just as a point of clarification so you said let the fear in yeah. <laughs> to, to get through the secret door what's your recommendation to somebody about like how to let the fear like um, let it in well i have a i have another theory and um i think i'm gonna alienate just one of you except he's heard this before um <laughs> When I, when I do this presentation, and if it's a mix of female and male in the room, I alienate half of them. And the men are going, well, it's not going to be us, is it? It's obviously <laughs> going to be the girls. Um, but to their surprise, it's, it's, my, it's a bit of a generalization, but it's my belief that women are inherently mentally stronger than men. Um, and, and it's nothing to do with a stereotype of childbirth or anything like that, because um, uh, many women who swim the channel and do other extreme sports that, that don't have children or haven't had children. Um, but... What happens with a man? I think it's a primeval thing. I never burst into tears and, and cried for my mum on any of those swims, but I did implode mentally in front of four or five or six people. Now that might as well have been 6,000 in a stadium for the, for the shame, right? Mm. Um, and I, I, I might as well have gone and lived in a cave for 20 years and beat myself daily with sticks because I was found wanting. Um, when, I, when I've seen girls do that on channel swims, they literally boo their legs off. They burst into tears. They scream and shout and they say, I can't do it. I can't do it. And when someone's screaming and shouting, they probably can. It's the ones that don't respond and are, and are mute that you have to worry about because why, why are they doing that? But a screamer and a shouter, I've seen it so many times, they'll suddenly stop and they'll look at you with that defiant, have you never seen a girl cry before look and carry on. Um, so to answer your question, about controlling the fear, you have to allow it. You have to say, why wouldn't I be scared? If I didn't want to be scared, I wouldn't be doing this. I would be in my comfort zone and not, not doing things that challenge me beyond my current skill set. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's what I would recommend that, yeah, whether it's, I've got a friend called Sally and she swam the channel some years ago and she did her six hour qualifying swim. And um, we all clapped her in and the others that had done it that day. And afterwards she came up and she said, she said um, I just did my six hours. I said, I know, I saw you. And she said, yeah, but I found it really hard. And, and she said, and, and you know, I'm not a, slow, a quick swimmer. If that was hard, what's 12 going to be like? Or what's 18 going to be like? And I said, Sally, it's going to be harder. And, and she looked at me expecting some long philosophical response. I said, think about it. When you did three hours and then six, was six not harder than three? She said, yeah. I said, so what makes you think 12 won't be harder than six? Doesn't mean you can't do it. You just have to extend, keep moving the line, you know? Um, but I, I've, I've been on lots of boats, um, uh, guy, uh, crewing for people, and um, I've seen the fear. I've seen the fear on the way around to the beach. You know, mm -hmm. people are petrified and people react in different ways. They either internalize and they disappear inside themselves or they they are almost hysterically effusive but it's still fear mm -hmm. and and we just say look get in the water start swimming and and understand that when you've done an hour the thought of doubling it and doubling it and doubling it five times to get to 16 or whatever and you might still not be there you've got to allow that that's a normal reaction mm -hmm. okay. So that's, that's what I talk about with the fear. Nice. Um, what, um, what, per, why did you continue to swim marathons? That, that's a really good question. It, 
in answer to why did I continue trying to swim the channel, I was 36 when I started in 91 or two. And when I wasn't succeeding and like scratching my head thinking, well, that didn't work. And that's cost me another whatever. It was like 900 pounds in those days. Um, it's all relative. It's still a lot of money. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I just knew that if I lived to a long age or even the age I am now and had walked away from it, that wherever I went in the world where there was water, a sea or, or a lake or a river or whatever, I wouldn't sit on a terrace at a hotel and look out on a bay on a moonlit night and go, my, that's beautiful. I would look out and sublimely or directly for the rest of my life, I'd say you didn't do it because you weren't good enough. And I wasn't prepared to have that, right? Because you don't have to be a competent, technically gifted swimmer to swim or to do long swims. And, um, and I'm proof of the pudding. I'm not an elite swimmer. And the irony is that I said, it's only this year that I've stopped saying in a self-deprecating way to cover up my flaws that I'm a runner masquerading as a swimmer. Because um, Coach Mark there, he um, gave me some tips when we were guiding. So um, I got in touch with, I was on a, a friend's swim um, uh, last year and she swam really well. And her stroke did not degrade for the entire swim. And I asked her about it afterwards. And she put me in touch with a, a, a lady called Tracy Bellman, who's got a, a, a swim company called Swim Mastery over here. She's got an endless pool. And um, basically I went down there and I feel like a different swimmer, even just on, because I went and then we had COVID and lockdown. Um, so I just went once and I've been twice since we have, although we're going back into lockdown on Thursday, I had a couple of opportunities to go down and, and just see myself on video. I've always found it very difficult to assimilate verbal command from someone standing vertically, telling me what I've got to do horizontally. Mm -hmm. I, I, my brain doesn't, but seeing yourself. And, um, and so I've sort of got my, my mojo back to, to carry on swimming. And in between the channel, I did other swims. Um, so six years after I succeeded in 97, I did the channel again. And my mm -hmm. friends were going, you're nuts. Why are you doing it again? And I said, well, because I want to make sure I didn't accidentally get there. The first, time. <laughs> right? first time was because I had to. This time is because I want to. Um, but in between, I got this crazy idea in my head that I would do hat tricks um, of the swims I, I, I embarked on. So I've done three Lake Windermere's, three Lake Zurich's, three round jerseys, two channels and two Jersey to France swims. But then mm -hmm. on the last Jersey to France swim two years ago, I'm, I'm driving down there and my mojo was beginning to go, you know, I'd, I'd given 26 years or whatever of my life. Um, and it had obsessed me in many ways. And on the way down, I said to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. This is it. I've had enough. And my partner, who's a, who's a swimmer and, um, and lives in Jersey and Channel Islands, uh, she's a channel swimmer. Um, I didn't say anything. We got in, it was very misty, but the water was flat calm. And I came in for my first feed on two hours. And I said, um, I said, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore. And they were going, oh, it's just her and the two pilots. And they go, oh, I said, no, no, I'm good for this. I can do this, but I'm retiring. I don't want to do it anymore. And then at six hours, the dolphins came and they stayed with me for two hours and they swam under me, 
by the side of me. There was a pod of about 15 with a couple of babies. And then after two hours, they disappeared as suddenly as they, they come. And I said to myself, do you know what? It's never going to get better than this. It's never, ever going to get better than this. And so we, we got there and my partner said, I don't understand this hat trick thing anyway. This, why do you need to do three? She said, it's ridiculous. She said, why don't you say you've done five twos and, and be happy? And I said, okay. Now that was two years ago. Now people keep saying to me, Cliffy, you, you, you're like a boxer who doesn't know when to, to throw in the towel. You know, you think you've got one more fight in you. Well, I've got a renewed vigor because I'm learning to swim after all these years. So um, my partner, when she sees this, will be horrified. But it's not gone away because I've got two hat tricks to get. Right. And I fancy it. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I'd be happy. You know, she said no, she'd like to. She'd like to. <laughs> but no, no, I think I would because I started to run again properly about 12 years ago. And I and I love that. And and, you know even with lockdowns we're allowed to exercise i can go out my front door i live by the trail and i can run right mm -hmm. swimming's a, a, a different thing you need you require more effort just to get in the water unless you live by the sea or by a lake um but there you go that's 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 why i i've done it all these years but you know when people say I'm glad I didn't succeed because if, it, if I had succeeded first time, my plan was to go off after that and do Ironman triathlon or something. Right. Um, but I didn't, I hung around. And in the last 27 years, I've met some extraordinary people and, and some, and had seen some extraordinary achievements and, mm -hmm. and, and some backstories of people are extraordinary, you know? And if you look at Sarah Thomas uh, last year, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I MC our channel dinner and, and I was delighted that her and, and her husband came across and she is the most humble of humble people mm -hmm. and she found the channel four ways right that is that is an outstanding achievement by anyone's standards but she's a cancer survivor you know and to do what she did and to be so so modest in her achievement you know it was, it was yeah. incredible so people like Sarah and and, and people like, um, I don't know, Kevin Murphy, who's, who's a nut job, you know, he swam the channel 34 times. He can't put a book on a tall shelf because his shoulders are ruined, but he still <laughs> wants to swim the channel when he's 74 or something to be the oldest man, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of glad I didn't succeed because of meeting so many people from all around the world, including that lady there, Marlis, and that man there, who's, who's a bit more daylight now there, Mark, because yeah. <laughs> um, he's got an orange shirt on. Is that a swim, is that a swim trek shirt? <laughs> we're going to, we're going to assume it is. This is your story, yeah. Cliff. We got to keep talking to you. Okay. Wow. <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> okay. Ask me a question. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, tell us about selecting crew. It seems like maybe you've learned a little bit with your Magnificent Seven experiences. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> Partly because of, of COVID now, we didn't think there'd be a season in the channel, um, mm -hmm. but this applies to wherever you go, whatever swim you're doing. Um, but the pilots restricted um, crew down to um, three for a solo. And um, obviously if there was a six man relay and it was a, 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 a children's relay, there'd have to be a chaperone. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say that um, don't take your mates from the pub. Right? <laughs> um, if you're a young female swimmer 
be very, very wary about whether your dad goes on board because dads, um, they might have seen their baby training. They might have seen their baby saying, well, I'm not sure if I want to do it today. They wouldn't have seen their baby in the distress that they're going to see them in trying to swim the channel or another long swim. And they have to be a particular type of dad to give it up to the crew, to the pilot and the people that know what they're doing. Um, so be very free to used to get the fathers up against the wall and interrogate them uh, as to as to what they were like as as people and whether they should go on their their child's boat. Um, have someone who and and make sure your crew can multitask. There's no point in in getting someone on board who is going to be your communicator doing your Facebook or your social media or whatever it is you're going to do. Um, and another person who's absolutely on the ball with required with, with regard to your feeds, because what happens if that person three miles out suddenly takes sick and, and, and they're in, they're non-combatant because they're horizontal and the other people, they, they don't know. Well, I don't know what the feeds are, you know, so they have to be able to multitask. Um, and they have to take rests um, because the big build-up to the swim is, is, is fantastic. Da-da-da-da-da, here we go, here we go. In the water, 20 seconds later, you're looking at each other saying, right, now what do we do? do, we do? It, for the crew, it's very anticlimactic because yeah. that's it. It's, it's up to the swimmer now. The swimmer's in charge now because, well, the pilot's in charge, but the swimmer's got to put one arm in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so the crew need to pace themselves especially if the swims happened at night i've been on on swims where uh, crewing where the swims happened at sort of one in the morning and and i've gone right okay see ya and and they say where you going i said well there's nothing happening here for the next couple of hours um i'm gonna have a, i'm gonna have a sleep and i go down and have a sleep and um and um and then come up a bit refreshed right because if it's a long long swim and if it's a day swim that goes into um into night, then you have to be aware that, that it's a different swim because it's dark and the swimmer will be exhausted and it's totally, totally different. And you have to, to recalibrate yourselves and, um, and reinvigorate yourselves as crew because in, in, in its own way, crews can be as exhausted mentally as a swimmer can, especially yeah. if it's a tough swim, especially yeah. if the conditions turn nasty but are still swimmable you know yeah. the boat's rocking all over the place the kit's flying all over the place and um and you, you need to be tough you need to be strong for your swimmer and the other thing about crew is when the swimmer comes in it's a natural inclination for every single one of that crew to start giving it all the you're doing amazing you're my hero and all that the yeah. swimmer can't assimilate all that information they you, you need to delegate say right it's your turn you talk yeah. And then, and then when they swim off, everyone can then go rah rah rah. But when the swimmer's there, they can only look at one person properly, yeah. and 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 don't tell a swimmer how how far they've got to go. Right, right. That's the last thing you should do, unless, like my pilot did on the first one, when he's explaining why he's getting me out, or, right. you know, you don't lie to the swimmer either, right? Yeah. You just say keep going, you're doing it. I've, I've many a time on a boat, I started pointing. I can see the swimmer looking at us. They want information. And I've said, right, everyone point. Point anywhere. Just point in the same direction. And when they come in for a feed, they go, oh, I don't know if I can do it. So what? We're pointing to where you're going to land. Get, get going. Get going. Even if you haven't a clue where they're going to land or, or how long it's going to take. Because you know? right. if you say to someone, oh, the pilot reckons three hours, right? And three hours comes 
and and the tides changed or whatever right. and another three hours right they're not going to be happy and that's a big hurdle for them to then overcome you told me three hours you told me i'd be there in three hours i, I can't even see the shore never mind be there right yeah. don't get yourself in that hole by avoiding doing it in the first place mm-hmm that's what I'd say about that. Yeah, good advice. I think knowing what you need to, you'd kind of alluded to this with Frida, like the kind of coach she was, is not the kind of like coach you needed with the yelling. Like there's some people who are motivated by that, but there's other are, people who yeah. really need more like a, like the yeah. soft, quiet encouragement. <laughs> so yeah. knowing what you and, need, I think can be really helpful. It's important that you identify crew who know you. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, having said that, I've got a phone call late at night saying cliffy would you go on a boat because the the, the person who's swimming they've got two mates from school and they haven't got a clue and and the pilot's saying can i have someone with experience mm-hmm. right? and although i knew the swimmer um i didn't know them that well i rang frida up and said frida what about this swimmer i'm going on this boat tomorrow and she said cliff i can't tell you a thing about her do you know why because she's done everything i've said she's just got on and done it she said we haven't managed to break her in training so I have no idea. Good luck. You know, and she did it. She did a really good swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to an aspiring marathon swimmer? <laughs> I would say um, go and get um, join a group. And the beauty about this sport is over the last, I don't know about in the States, but certainly here in the last 10 years, it's exploded, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I'd say go and get a um, get yourself in a group. And, and if it's not a great group, go and, have, go and get another group. But find like-minded people who understand what you're doing. If you have a partner, um, try and get them on board. Um, right. Because um, if they're not on board, when you start to get into the sport and it will grip you, um, they, you don't want to uh, disorientate them or distance mm-hmm. them. So, you know, they don't have to do it. If they do, it's fantastic. But get them on board. Mm-hmm. Say, look, honey, this is what I want to do. The problem is, the problem is, and I've seen this more with men, they come down and they do a season in Dover to swim the channel. And the, and the partner says, okay, yep, I'll, I'll look after the kids. I'll embrace this with you. I'm thinking, yeah, because next year he's going to be coming back into the fold. He does the swim, right? Next year, because he loves the camaraderie of it all, he's thinking, right, what am I going to do next? And, <laughs> yeah. and the partner's going, hang on a minute, this wasn't the deal. <laughs> so, yeah, so get, get the party involved. One of the best um, innovations in open water swimming I've seen, especially um, sea swimming, is the toe floats. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're fantastic, especially the ones with the dry bags, because you can stick a phone in it. You can, you know, um, so get yourself one of those. Um, uh, and don't wear two hats. If you're going to do a swim and you're planning a swim that requires you to do it in skins or you want to do it in skins for ratification purposes, don't put two hats on thinking in the beginning, thinking, yeah, because it's cold. Of course it's cold. Um, right. because at some point you've got to take that second hat off and that that's like throwing your Nunu blanket or your favorite Teddy in, uh, in the garden. <laughs> yeah. So, so don't, don't, don't wear two hats. Um, and just understand that not every swim is going to be great. Not every yeah. training swim is going to be great. You're going to have some tough times, but don't lose sight of the goal. And you've got to, you've got to identify why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Are you doing it because it looks fun? Are you doing it because you have an aim? You want to do a swim? Are you doing it because 
you um, are wanting to raise money for a charity because a dear loved one has an illness or, or you've lost someone, um, you've got to find what I call the, the reason. And, and, mm -hmm. the, the, and the reason, I don't mean because I like it, I mean the real reason. When you're clamoring yeah. to get up the ladder, you've got to remind yourself, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know? and, and, and that's when you've got to say, I know why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm raising money because of that person, right? Um, or that cause or whatever. Um, so yeah, identify the real task, why you're doing it. But most of all, have fun and, and just embrace it because it's, it's a fantastic sport. It's a fantastic community. And, um, and I, I just love it. Although I lost my mojo for the actual swimming process, mm -hmm. I didn't lose my mojo for the camaraderie. You right. know, Mark will tell Malice has uh, gone. She had um, to run up, yeah. Yeah, but Mark will tell you when we've done um, swim trek guiding together on the long distance camps in Mallorca, you've got up to 15 people in pre COVID times. And some of them are training for channel swim or other swims. Some of them are seeing, you know, can I do this? And they might come along and say, look, I'm not doing the six hour qualifying swim. That's not on my agenda. I just want to swim. And I'm, I'm only ever going to do two. And I'm going to get on the boat and read a book. And you say, that's fine. It's your money. It's your holiday, right? When they've done the six-hour swim, because they can't find a reason to get out because everyone's doing it. I've mm -hmm. seen Mark's, Mark and I have seen people think, wow, I just swam six hours. I didn't think I could yeah. do an hour. And three days later only, I've done six hours because it's a hardcore camp. And the camaraderie that they build up, they make lifelong friends in five days. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's, it's an astonishing sport. And I think it's because of the adversity of the conditions yeah. that, that engenders this camaraderie and, and this esprit de corps, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Great advice. Uh, last question. Who has inspired you, Cliff? <laughs> That's a good question. Do you know, Mark will tell you that I talk about motivating and, and you know, the people, when you're a manager of people in a workplace, your manager will say, right, your job is to motivate that team. And, and when I was a manager and my manager used to say that to me, I'd say, no, I can't do that. And he said, well, that's your job. I said, no, no, no. I can try and inspire them or lead by example, but they've got to motivate themselves. You know, the motivation comes from, from within. And, um, and I think it's the same answer to your, to your question. You know, you, you, you have to find it from within yourself and you just have to, just have to say, why, why can't I do that? Everyone's telling me I'm not good enough. You know, we had a little swimmer. She was tiny, probably four foot 11. And she swam the channel because people told her that her arms were too short to be a swimmer. Right. <laughs> she didn't have a disability of any, any <laughs> she's restricted in height. And, and she said, what? And she swam the channel. That was her motivation to, to be a channel swimmer. Um, mm -hmm. And what you do find, whether it's swimming the channel, or Manhattan, or Gibraltar, or any of the swims, any of your swims over there, if it's way outside your previous comfort zone, right, and you do that swim and you aspire to do other ones, it's life enhancing and it's mm -hmm. life changing because whatever else you face in, in your life adversity-wise, I always say to myself, right, we've been, we've been through a pandemic here or going through it like you are, mm -hmm. Boris lockdown, I call it over here. And it's tough, you know, it's tough financially, it's tough emotionally, on your well-being and I just say to myself look I have good health still 
is what we're going through now, is that worse than 12 hours into a channel swim when I couldn't see past the end of my hand and, and thought that, you know, this was the worst experience of my entire existence? Mm -hmm. And the answer is invariably, well, well, no, because you carried on, you put one arm in front of the other. You know, you're still going to get up in the morning and say, yeah, this day is as good a day as I make it, not looking at all the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You just uh, put the, like, that's exactly why I started Marathon Swim Stories is because, because everybody has something to learn from marathon swimmers. <laughs> yeah, they do. And, and do you know what? They, they, they will say, it's like someone who does um, studies Zen, right? They go to their Zen master and they say, master, I found enlightenment. The Zen master will say, my son, you're at the beginning, right? <laughs> Because it's, it's, you're always learning. And I always say that the teacher is always the pupil. Mm -hmm. You know, when, 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 where is he? He's there in the corner. When Mark was um, doing the coaching on the long distance trips, um, I know he came away having learned things himself. From, it's, an, it's, an, it's an ongoing process. You, yeah. the, day, the day you say, right, I don't need to know anything more, is the day you really should start from the very beginning, which is why. 27 28 years later i'm learning how to swim i love it i love that i was i was very heartened to hear that too um just as a coach um for me yeah. they, there's nothing nothing better than like seeing yourself on video to, to in order to connect the dots about what to improve mm. like you, there's mm. no other way you can like incorporate yeah. that yeah wow thank you so much for sharing your story today cliff thank i really appreciate it me and I, i'm sorry if i was a bit verbose i did warn no. you i love it you did Are you ready to swim smarter? Check out my virtual Efficient Swimming Basics program at intrepidwater.com. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you'd like to be a guest on Marathon Swim Stories, just email me, shannon at intrepidwater.com. Please stay in touch by joining our email list at intrepidwater.com. Thanks for listening.